Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of QSR Uncut. I'm your host, Danny Klein, and joined by my co-host and colleague, Ben Coley. So this week, we have Sanjeev Razdan. Um, anyone who's been listening to the podcast knows that I pronounce most names incorrectly, so I will allow uh, Sanjeev to correct me if I did that wrong, but he's the president of the Americas and India for the coffee, bean, and tea leaf. And so we'll talk a little bit about the brand and you know how they've been navigating recent conditions. But you know I think it's worth pointing out the coffee you know sector in particular over the past couple of years has been you know really facing not just a disruption in you know where consumers are headed and how they're accessing brands you know through digital and what have you, but also just you know in the very simple fact that people are getting coffee at different times of the day than they used to. You know work remote work from home, a lot of schedule changes. You know, I, I know personally as a consumer, if I'm going to get coffee now, it's more about two o'clock in the afternoon <laughs> than it is on my way to work. Um, and we're actually in the office. It's just, I think that a lot of these habits got kind of, uh, kind of tossed into a blender there. So Sanjeev, thank you for joining us. Um, like I said, if you want to introduce yourself and kind of tell us a little bit about your background and the brand in general, you know, the floor is yours. Thank you, Danny and Ben, for having me. It's always a pleasure to be back on this podcast. Uh, and by the way, you pronounced my name perfectly. So Dan on time before that. Um, you always get a win once in a while. <laughs> Look, my story is that uh, I grew up in India, started my career with... Uh, hotels and then very quickly transitioned to um, the chain restaurant business. I spent 20 years with um, young brands, uh, several of them internationally, and then eventually um, went to work for Applebee's as their CEO out of Kansas City, who then moved us to uh, LA where we live now. Uh, I did a CEO role with Sweet Green, which is another fabulous uh, high growth brand. And then for about a year now, I have been with the coffee bean and tea leaf. It's a segment that I've been admired uh, from a distance for a while, and it's a very exciting uh, space to be in. So I love the coffee business. A word on the coffee bean and tea leaf. We are uh, a approximately 1,100 cafes around the world in 30-plus countries. We have about 200 Cafes in the United States are an omni-channel brand. We can be accessible to e-commerce, uh, online delivery, and of course, through our brick-and-mortar presence. And we have company and franchise operations. And we're predominantly in the Southwest at the moment, although many of you would have seen us in airports dotted around the country. That's how um, a lot of people know us from. Cool. Well, I think uh, you mentioned something there quickly about delivery. And, you know, I kind of recall a few years ago when this first became a thing in in Starbucks's case. And the question everyone was asking was, how are you going to make sure coffee is hot when it gets to someone's door? But, you know, (laughs) I don't know how important that is anymore, considering that 70% of their business is now cold beverages. So I guess from your perspective, um, you know, have you seen that shift in terms of what people are ordering, you know, whether it's cold coffee and just in terms of delivery too, how much that's becoming a legitimate part of a consumer's occasion set now? Danny, we've seen a very, very significant shift in consumer behavior in the coffee and tea segment, I'd say over the last 
18 months, two years. So I'll, I'll talk you through probably three big buckets of behavior shift that I've seen, um, starting with what I call beyond the third place. So very much, right, where the, the notion of coffee, as you recall, when um, Starbucks and Howard Schultz had given, created the label, the third place, right? I think that notion of third place and dwelling in a cafe has just gotten significantly blown up and right. sort of moved way beyond that, right? It is all about customization, hyper convenience, drive-throughs are doing exceedingly well. So for us, 40% of our, um, uh, we have 40 um, drive-throughs in our company owned portfolio. It's almost a third of our estate, which does incredibly well. So consumers are basically thinking about accessing coffee in very, very different ways than they have done previously. I think that's just a big insight, including at-home consumption, right? The quality of at-home brewing machines have vastly improved. The sensitivity about the kind of coffee beans they want to brew at home has just become much more. So just consumer behavior, like I said, uh, beyond the third place is one. Second thing, what I'd call is bring it to me. And that has certainly been helped by this trend towards colder beverages. Delivery is now 12% of our sales. Uh, for the coffee bean and tea leaf. And until about 18 months ago, we did not even offer delivery. So it's rapidly growing. We, we, we have bubbled down and offer delivery on our native app. We are with Grubhub, DoorDash, Uber Eats, and Postmates. So we've gone and doubled down on all the big aggregators. But I think what was happening is in the industry, 70% of our drinks as well are served cold, be it coffee or tea. As a result, the functional um, ease of ordering delivery has become so much better, right? Uh, colder beverages travel uh, better. There's a lot of ice in them. They just stay better, arrive better for the customers. So we're seeing a lot of delivery business. Interestingly, alongside the delivery business, we're seeing more food being sold along with coffee. Because when people are ordering this at home, which is where a lot of the delivery is going, you know, they're feeling peckish. They want to have that snack, uh, whether it's mid-morning or mid-afternoon. And what used to be, I just want a cup of coffee, has now become, I'd like my coffee for whoever else is at home, but then we also want to order something to eat. So I think that's also shifting how people are accessing uh, coffee at home. And I think the third thing that we've seen is just coffee was always very personalized, but this need for hyper-personalization of coffee has just accelerated even further. And that's coming from people's preference around options of dairy or plant-based uh, options, so to speak, whether they want sweetness levels modulated in their beverages, uh, how much uh, caffeine or no caffeine in their beverages, hot or cold, sizes, flavor shots, you name it. It's just become this hyper uber personalized beverage experience that consumers are crafting. And I think what it means for brands like ours is how are you making that easy to do uh, online through the app, right? Because it's no longer just the barista interaction where you just call out what you wanted 
um, and you'd make it happen. So I think those are some of the big shifts that we're seeing. Yeah, I, I got to say the, <laughs> the the customization, which you just mentioned with telling the barista what you want and then making it happen, I, I think that is an amazing change in the world because it was such a complex thing to get, you know, whether or not you were stuck behind someone that wanted 40 different things or you were that person and it was kind of making you self-conscious and then, you know, essentially, you know, praying to whoever that when it did get to the end that they did the things that you said. And I think that's one of the reasons why, you know, mobile ordering in the coffee space, just not, and, and this is true in a lot of fast casual and quick services, why would you really want to go back as a consumer? You know, even if you're dining in, you know, personally, I'll do that and then just go grab my bag off the shelf and sit down because who wants the queue in line <laughs> on purpose, right? You know, so I think that's an occasion or a uh, behavior that I don't think is going to really ever revert back to how it was. I just cannot imagine, Danny. We're seeing more and more of that behavior, right? Even people who want to come in and, like you said, maybe spend a few minutes uh, in the cafe would much rather just order it on their app. It's making sure they get their um, loyalty points, right, which everyone loves. It's so much easier. And by the way, in the coffee business, making sure your name's spelt right has been, you know, it's been a thing, right? There's so many yeah. memes around that and it's talked about. And guess what? This way, uh, it's all taken care of and you get your drink with accuracy. It's convenient. You get your loyalty points. It's, uh, it's great. Plus the, plus the employee themselves yelling your name out in the crowd is, I mean, that's the worst, you know? But so I, I definitely, you know, think they probably prefer having it, you know, with the kind of the, as you see in a lot of coffee places now, you have that digital sticker on the cup that they just put in the shelf and then you go and find it. I think it's better for everybody. Yeah. The cool thing is that we're able to do that for delivery as well. And this is where, you know, there's four different people at home. Let's say everyone's ordered their cup. And now literally our app gives you the option of saying whose drink is what and it comes labeled with their individual names. So I think that's the level of the... It's the little things, right? It's that's the level to which it's become so much easier. And I was gonna say, you know, to your guys' point, I think what it also is very beneficial, the digital aspect is very beneficial to um, new customers to the brand that they're able to um, go on the app and take the take their time and pace on how they wanna customize their order as opposed to walking into a dining room and seeing all the possible combinations and all the selections and being kind of flustered with, you know, like, you know, other people in line. So that's another benefit because, like, I I can remember walking into, you know, customizable bowl places and not knowing whether I wanted chicken or another protein or something like that. But, like, I'm able to go on the Chipotle app or whatever app and, like, easily pick and choose the toppings and everything I want and, and just, like, put it all together and and also have that set order and just order it repeatedly every single every single time instead of having to redo them and everything. So I think it's really it really does you know break down the barriers to allow new customers to come into the brand as well. Sure. Yeah, you know you know who uh, upsells you a hundred percent of the time, not a person. So right. <laughs> that is true. That is true. We always find the um, the average order value or average check, whatever you want to call it, is always 
more uh, on digital orders. People just, when they have time, like you said, uh, Ben, they're like buying more because they're like customizing it in the way that they want at their leisure. But we also find that they add more things, right? Um, through their order, right? just because you, you're navigating it yourself, you typically add more things. Um, mm -hmm. So it's um, definitely. We yeah, I, I think that that's a good point, right? I mean, especially at a kiosk, right? You take your time. It's much easier to build your check than to try to figure it out on the fly. But yeah, what, what were you saying, Ben? I think I cut, cut you no, off. There. You're good. I was gonna. I was going to ask. Um, you know, we we've talked about you know the growth of off premises, and we've seen on both sides, both in the the quick service um, segment and the the casual dining segment, of you know starting to build these smaller um, boxes because of the way off premises has kind of gone and in and the sort of the, the pivot away from the dining room, but you know, at the same time, um, there have been brands who have who have kind of like kind of stated out there that they 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 do believe that there will be a time um, when things return to normal that the dining room will still be kind of a valuable piece of um, operation. So I kind of wanted to ask you, and when it comes to your business, and when it comes to third place, um, do you believe that will ever return um, post COVID? And how do you think it will return? And how does that kind of fit into how you guys kind of view growth um, going forward? So the best way to answer this uh, question is to say, I think there will be a place for cafes, but it'll be very trade zone location specific, mm -hmm. right? Where it's the kind of areas that people are actually going to because they want to hang out or spend time and, and then it makes complete sense to have a nice cafe experience over there versus a lot of local either commute driven or on my way to back home or you know close to where i live or where i work a lot of those locations are very much driven by this need for either grabbing a quick drive through or i walk in grab and go uh, as a result, I'll tell you what Coffee Bean's doing is we have added two asset types that we're building as we speak. One of them is a drive-through walk-up uh, asset. So think of it as, hey, you can certainly do a drive-through. It's a much smaller footprint, but you can park your car and walk up and grab a beverage as well. We made it convenient so you can do both. Um, and if you're seeking that barista interaction, want to walk up, that's fine but it's significantly smaller. We think we can find more sites. That's how our consumers are using us in any case, and it delivers superior financial results. The other asset type, again, which we did not have that we are building now, is a walk-up only asset. And think about that as more densely urban locations, lot of foot traffic, where people are used to using the app or ordering ahead, they just come in, grab their beverage, and leave. And it's a very much grab-and-go occasion and need state, right? Again, same thing. We can have a smaller footprint engineered and built and uh, designed for digital. So we're adding those two asset types um, this year to all the others. Because at the Coffee Bean, look, we've got kiosks. We've got the big drive throughs We've got standalone cafes, the whole uh, nine yards. 
But these are the two missing pieces that have become much more relevant this year that we're very excited about. They haven't been built yet, but um, they are being built um, as we speak. Yeah, talk a little bit about the drive-through. You know, what are you all doing to just increase throughput there? I, I think we've all seen the uh, coffee shop drive-through lines these days and have asked ourselves, is it worth waiting 30 minutes to get a cup of coffee, you know, because the convenience of the drive-through and now getting kind of balanced by the wait time has become a little bit of a interesting thing, you know, with the dynamics of the fact that you can't go inside a lot of times. And I mean, what are some things you've done just to make sure that that moves along so it is a realistic option for people and they're not going to just kind of drive right on by? Yeah, great question. So we're, we're basically investing in technology to make sure that the drive-through experience is striking the balance between speed and accuracy and hospitality, right? So what do I mean by that? I think the first thing is that um, we are putting drive-through timers everywhere. That was not something that, you know, the, we would think about the coffee drive-through occasion as much more the still about having the barista interaction and in our minds, I think we wanted to make sure that we weren't obsessing our own teams about speed so that, you know, they compromise on the quality of the beverage or quality of the engagement with, with the guests. We have now put drive-through timers in. That speed has become very critical without losing the other two things that I spoke about. So that is just helping our teams keep tab on speed. And when the line's getting too long, we can quickly uh, slide deploy, get people to, to move the, the uh, line faster. The second thing we've done is deployed um, superior technology in the coffee machines. That technology keeps evolving. And now you can access these coffee machines that are able to deliver a fabulous uh, shot of coffee, but at a shave seconds out of each coffee being prepared. So in a drive-through is, you know, you know, every second counts. So we're able to take off five seconds here, 10 seconds there, because we're now putting in place or have across all our drive-throughs, the fastest coffee machines uh, that allow us to strike that balance between still offering the fabulous coffee we're famous for, but also at much faster speeds. The third thing we've, we've done is we are now scaling out what we call line busting. So when we find that the line is getting beyond three cars, we're essentially putting one of our baristas with a tablet outside in the line to take orders in parallel with the order post, right? So we just start processing your order even before you get to the front of the line uh, where the ordering post is. So that has definitely been a very big um, success in the test that we did. Um, and then the fourth thing is that we're just getting throwing incentives to the team to say, hey, if we hit these targets around drive-through speed uh, with accuracy, then here's what it is for you. And it's always great when the team uh, gets excited and there's something in it for them to make sure the cars are, uh, the line's moving fast. So really technology in every touch point of that um, guest experience. Yeah, the line busting method that you mentioned there, which you know a lot of people you know, stateside are very familiar, at least around here in the Southeast with Chick-fil-A doing it, in and out Burger does it, of course, on your side. And mm -hmm. it, it is always interesting to see um, 
how much of a difference it makes in consumers' perceptions to not have to wait to get to the order board to order, even if they end up waiting the exact same amount of time. <laughs> it's, uh, it's actually something we measured in our drive-through study this past year, which we really based around this idea of perception of speed rather than clocked speed and how now we could measure the drive-through differently than we did you know, a couple of years ago, and especially before COVID, um, just given how crowded they got. But... Um, you know, I, I guess from your own perspective, you know, if you're talking about these convenience channels and removing friction and and all of those type of things, I mean, how, how constant has that become a journey now? And you mentioned before, you know, you used to work at Applebee's and I imagine back in the day, you know, you were probably talking about technology, but, you know, definitely not in this world. So, you know, what is it like, you know, running a restaurant now in this environment where you really have a digital infrastructure as important as your, you know, physical infrastructure and, and all of these kind of things that you have to think about. It's definitely become very different, Nanny, from uh, what it used to be, even as recently, I'd say, as three or four years ago. What has fundamentally shifted is that you could count on your fingertips the number of brands that were considered technology forward in the restaurant space, right? There were very few. And they were talked about and written about and so on and so forth. Now, if you don't have table stakes of, of technology around both consumer and employee facing aspects of the business, I just don't think you can play the game anymore. Um, and then the differentiators are the sort of icing or the cherry on the cake, right? That's a whole different thing. What does that mean in terms of running the business day to day is basically, first of all, I think restaurant companies have to build uh, a technology muscle. Even if we're buying off the shelf technology, you need to have someone in-house who understands tech and digital, which is not, you know, we've traditionally had the IT department in restaurant companies, not so much the digital and technology where the world is evolved to now. So the way I call it is we have tech teams that figure out the stuff that gets plugged in the wall. And then we have a different tech team that does all this other uh, cool digital and other technology that touches uh, the experience. I think the second thing is technology is not for the sake of technology itself. It is now essentially embedded in the employee journey as well as a customer journey, right? And so it's become such a cross-functional role. We're finding in the way that we run our business, tech has to have a seat at the table in literally any significant project team that we have. Like, it just is. And that's a new muscle. So we're having to um, uh, embed them. And the third thing is the rate of change of what is available out there is so rapidly evolving. And the options uh, of the kinds of things that one can do in whichever business you're in is changing so rapidly that just trying to keep pace with um, what is available off the shelf, um, it, it just takes effort. It has to be someone's day job. Previously, the choice was, hey, are you going to build the technology if you're going to be on the leading edge, bleeding edge, or are you going to buy the tech, right? And then you had a handful of options of what you could buy. And now it's like every month you're having more and more service providers, more optionality, Everyone's got something slightly unique by way of functionality. 
So making sure that we understand what our customers are needing or employees are needing and matching that with what is available out there is just a nonstop endeavor that one has to think about differently. I want to um, shift the discussion over to um, growth opportunities. And I wanted to ask specifically about real estate availability. I know you mentioned the importance of drive-through and the future of drive-through. But I've heard from another operator that in California specifically where you guys are primarily, loca primarily located that drive-through real estate can be kind of hard to come by. So I was hoping you could kind of dive into what you guys are seeing uh, right now in terms of availability in kind of your home base and then outside of your home base where there might be um, the most white space opportunities for you guys. It's probably good to start with where we are present and where we want to grow. Mm -hmm. And then I'll answer specifically a question about the real estate availability in California. Uh, like I said, our major markets are Southern California, the Las Vegas area, Hawaii, uh, Arizona. That's kind of that Southwest area that we're uh, present in. Our strategy at the moment is to penetrate further in the markets that we're already present in and then unlock a couple of key, very strategic markets for us. Uh, we want to take the brand into Texas and get into the, I call it the golden triangle of Texas, right? The um, Houston, Dallas, and Austin. Uh, we want to get in there, which is where we're actively having uh, conversations with franchisees. We think that'll be a franchise-led market for us. And then we're also very keen to unlock Chicago because we think that That'll allow us to also get a foot in the door of the Midwest. And from there, we can build clusters around Chicago. We already have a presence, um, albeit small, in New York. And then we'll continue to double down in that New York area as well. So first of all, I think that's where we're hoping to grow our footprint from here on and you know, grow pretty rapidly. Our most successful and profitable asset type is without a shadow of doubt, the drive-through cafe. And drive-through availability is extremely variable uh, across these geographies that I mentioned to you. Uh, California has al always been a challenge. It's not to say that they're not available, but drive-throughs are doing well for many brands, right? It's not just um, us in the coffee space. It's doing for many brands. And I think therefore, the demand supply uh, equation around drive-throughs is challenging uh, on the supply side. I think what's certainly helping us is that we belong to this portfolio of Jollibee uh, Food Corporation that's amongst the top 10 restaurant companies in the world. And I think that gives us some credibility as we talk to landlords, but it's definitely challenging. So we are exploring options like not just doing build to suit, but doing ground leases and being creative in the way that we think about commercially securing these drive-throughs. But also drive-through availability um, is somewhat easier when I think about Arizona. Not to say it's easy, but easier. And so that's another market for us. So we're, we're making sure that we're growing in the markets with the right kind of asset. And so, um, but you're absolutely on the money that uh, SoCal drive-through availability is definitely challenging. What, um, so I know you, you, you were talking about you have over a thousand units. U.S. is 
you know, relatively a pretty small portion of that. But, you know, what is uh, what are some of the main differences between the international and the domestic, you know, coffee and tea markets? I, I think the, uh, well, I guess depending on where you are, you know, maybe tea is more prevalent in one versus the other. Maybe coffee is, uh, maybe iced coffee is, you know, I, I have no actual idea since, you know, nobody has traveled in, you know, 22 months. But um, what are just, you know, at least for the brand, I mean, how, how are some things that are really kind of define one versus the other? The easy thing is the U.S. Uh, manifestation of the coffee bean and tea leaf is very much this balance between convenience dri driven occasions, right, that we were talking about. So it's a lot more digital, off premise, um, drive through, grab and go. People kind of know what drink they want, and it is a beverage-driven occasion, right? Uh, that people will also pick up something to eat whilst they're with us. When we think about our international business, we find is that it is a sit-down occasion. Oftentimes, it's a catch-up and connect with friends. Uh, it's a occasion where people will have a meal in our cafes. Um, you know, at lunchtime, our cafes are full and people are eating, you know, salads and pastas and bowls. And so it's very fascinating. It, it is a cafe more than a coffee shop in some regards. Um, uh, when we think about what our cafes look like, say, in Singapore, Malaysia or Philippines or other parts of the world. And then from a flavor profile, I think there's four flagship beverages that we do. We do lattes that were really, really famous for. We do them well. We do ice blended uh, drinks that do extremely well. Uh, we do cold brew coffee and then we do cold brew tea. Those four flagships you'll find are what is common across the world. But the flavors that people will put in these beverages will differ. So for example, you're finding in the US that we're very much uh, big fans of hazelnut or vanilla or chocolate. And now you're starting to see some incidents of mango and peach and um, those kinds of flavors coming in. Whereas if you go to parts of international, you know, you might say lychee uh, in there or dragon fruit or, you know, those kinds, the flavor profiles are, are very, very different about what people want to put into their tea or coffee as the, as the case might be. Also, my, my observation is that U.S. is trending towards a more cold beverage-driven coffee and tea occasion. I think a lot of international continues to be a hot beverage-driven occasion. Yeah, why, uh, why do you think that is? I, you know, I think it's one of those statistics that is not a surprise to anyone that seems to be happening now. I, you know, I, I think maybe part of it is it's almost like getting cold coffee is like getting a dessert. So you feel like it's an indulgent occasion now to get coffee at, you know, three o'clock in the afternoon. But, you know, why, why are Americans drinking so much cold coffee now? It's, uh, it's like the iced uh, latte <laughs> of my generation. I, I'm not sure what's happening, but I think I do know it is happening, though. You, you are so right on the money, and I'll, I'll just share with you a story. So I am a first-generation immigrant to this great country, 
And my early memories of visiting as a child was to just be amazed by two things. A, the size of soda that you could get at any <laughs> restaurant that you could go to, right? And the fact that there was just abundance, you bought this cup and you could have like this tons of ice <laughs> and you could keep having as much soda ripples as you wanted, which is so unusual when you compare to what um, the behavior around ice and soda and sizes of drinks is around the world. So I think somewhere inherently in our uh, behaviors and social fabric, just having consuming tons of ice in our drinks has been around for a long time. And so, it's a good, it's a good know, point. I never thought of it that way. Yeah, it's, it just is. We, we, we do that in the U.S., which is so countercultural to what you see in, say, Europe, for example. You just don't see these massive ice machines, right? So that's one. But I think the other piece of it is certainly what I find um, at coffee bean consumers that the coffee or tea has become a little bit of an indulgence or an escape. Uh, people work hard uh, in, in the U.S. We probably have in the Western world some of the least vacation time that a lot of folks get. And I, I think consumers feel like I cannot maybe afford to go on a vacation. I can't go on this big escape. But that doesn't stop me from having my indulgence and having my cup of escape, whatever that might be at two o'clock in the afternoon. Um, and that is my little treat to myself, right? That often gets played back when we do consumer insight work or research or talk, just talk to our guests, right? So it's very much, this is my treat. I'm indulging myself. It's my little escape. And, you know... People deserve to give themselves a break and, and think about it as an indulgence. So I think some of that also then nicely links up with the fact that they'll add flavors and syrups and, uh, you know, have these um, fabulous beverages that they construct for themselves. Yeah, you know, I wish we were not a country known for never taking breaks, but... It is true, though. You are right. We are a country that generally, you know, romanticizes the idea of working yourself into a stupor. Mm. Not to uh, get on a side tangent there, but that is that is the reality of uh, the U.S. Uh, capitalist uh, society. Yeah. Better balance to be struck for sure. Yeah, trying these days. I have a 13-year-old child, but... He uh, doesn't know what I'm doing ever, so I think it's okay for now. But, you know, hopefully we'll see how things go. I wanted to, I wanted to ask, um, you know, we, we mentioned um, Starbucks, and, of course, there's there's a host of coffee brands out there. You know, Dutch Bros, they just went public. And, and amid, you know, it's, it's come, the coffee's, you know, grown in popularity, and, it, and it's become such a, a crowded um, category, you know, so as you guys, you know, try to grow and you guys try to expand your reach, could you kind of describe your guys' efforts to differentiate, differentiate yourselves and to, and to kind of uh, pierce through the noise and talk to the consumer about what separates you guys from all these other coffee brands? Kind of go over your efforts, you know, to that end. Yeah, this is a, a critical question for us because I think, you know, it's so important for any brand to pick the lane and position themselves very sharply as, as to what differentiates them. Mm -hmm. We are doing work with a, 
um, a Southern California based agency called Bulldog Drummond as we speak to make sure that we can come up with a brand refresh and articulate our point of differentiation in an elegant and very sharply pointed way for our customers. So we will see uh, output of that work starting to hit uh, the brand and consumer's touch points early this year. But whilst we wait for that, I think for us, what's very, what makes our brand unique is essentially the fact that we are known to be the coffee and tea authority. So people look to us for being the expert uh, and we're, we're the most credible tea uh, provider uh, from a chain standpoint, not just in the US, but around the world. Uh, we have it in our name. And so there's a lot of credibility we get for tea. From an expertise standpoint, it's like we continue to source our coffee directly from growers around the world. We roast it ourselves in our facility in Camarillo, California. And we do the little things that make a difference, but haven't always told our story very well. And I'll share with you something that I learned. So a lot of what makes coffee special is essentially the espresso shot that goes into, is the building block of several beverages, right? Whether you have a latte or a cappuccino or whatever else it is that you have, right? Ours is a mixture of five different unique beans which come from five different countries. Let's say Costa Rica is one of them. Java might be another from Indonesia. You might have some Kenyan or Ethiopian in it. So ours is five. And everybody has some kind of a blend, every chain. You, to get the best out of these beans, you have to roast them uh, individually because they give off their best at a different temperature and a different uh, roasting time. So we will roast all these beans individually and then blend them together. Uh, whereas a lot of our competitors will mix the five or three or four or whatever, however many beans they have in their mix, just roast them together, right? And so you have some beans that will be over-roasted, some under-roasted. Just an example to essentially share that we really treat it with love and care and, and as you would expect experts to. So that remains a big cornerstone and then tea is a big differentiator for us. Yeah, what uh, what is the tea market like these days? Yeah, I feel like we talked about it more before the pandemic, and it was becoming very buzzy to speak about its potential. Got kind of lost there in the shuffle of the grand scheme of things. But I mean, how how much has that been a a customer occasion? You know, during the past couple of years, is it continuing to grow? And you know, where do you think that's headed? It's growing, and it continues to be um, the largest consume beverage globally, right? But even in the US, it just continues to grow very rapidly. And it's growing in two ways. The biggest growth is coming from mirroring the way coffee is consumed. And what I mean by that is that you can now have a chai latte or a cold brew tea, right? Or an ice blended tea. So there are ways of consuming tea that is starting to mirror the way people consume their coffee, right? And so it's familiar. You don't have to figure it out a different way of consuming it. People are already familiar with how they consume their favorite cup of coffee. When they mirror tea to be used the same way, they're able to get the flavor profile of tea um, without having to learn a completely new way of consuming it. That is what I think is happening. And so you're starting to see the tea continuing to grow very rapidly, certainly for us, but in a very mirrored way. What we're seeing in the industry outside of uh, coffee being, we're keeping a close eye on it, is 
two other things. One is that as health and wellness and mindfulness just becomes a big thing, people are more and more consuming herbal teas, right? And now you can even get like herbal teas for meditation and herbal teas for bedtime and herbal teas for, you know, your morning pick you up and what have you, right? So people are blending uh, teas for those kinds of states, making it easier to consume them. We find that our herbal teas are doing really well. We sell um, cans of flavored herbal teas, which do very well because of that reason. And then the other piece is the rise of boba tea, right? Which uh, appeals to a significantly younger demographic. Um, there are no significant chains in that space. They tend to be regional, smaller chains getting into that business or even mom and pops, but it's an interesting development. And I think certainly um, Americans are uh, discovering this whole boba craze that's been going on in parts of Asia and other parts of the world for quite a while now. But uh, certainly in California, I see uh, my daughters vis visiting their local boba tea place and, you know, getting themselves uh, a boba tea every now and again. All right. So before we let you go, um, Sanjeev, well, again, thank you for joining us. But just kind of give us uh, some insight of what you kind of expect for this coming year. I, I think as um, hearing about the industry every day, been impossible lately to escape supply chain, inflation, talking about coffee in general, how much it's costing you to get this uh, daily beverage or, <laughs> or drink as an indulgence. Um, and how long that lasts and where the ceiling is. But, you know, from your perspective and for the brand, I mean, what do you see on the horizon in, in 2022 as we continue to go through this? And, and yeah, what's, uh, what's kind of next for, for everybody, including the brand specifically? I think from an industry perspective and for, for uh, the brand, here's the way I describe it. First of all, I'm very optimistic. I think 2022 uh, will be a good, strong year as we emerge from a lot of the challenges, restructuring, tightening of seatbelt, whatever you want to call it, that people have had to go through across the industry. Um, I think we're all emerging stronger. Uh, we've built in components of digital technology, just pivoted to a, a more relevant way of uh, offering food and beverage to our consumers. So I feel much more optimistic. The headwinds are coming from three areas. Uh, which is, I think, common to most people. Labor inflation just continues to be not just uh, wage rate inflation, but also the scarcity or uh, of labor, uh, particularly for our frontline teams, is a huge uh, challenge and will continue to be uh, a headwind we all have to face. I think um, food cost and certainly coffee inflation uh, is much talked about. It's, uh, it's out there and it's something that brands like ours have to uh, navigate. And I think the third thing is supply chain challenges, right? I think those have yet to be resolved. We saw that becoming a big issue in 2021. And I think they will continue to be a challenge in 2022. I'm not seeing any real evidence of that changing or shifting. So I see those three as the biggest headwinds. But overall, consumer demand uh, is growing. I think people are wanting to go back to spending on restaurants and eating out or ordering in, as the case might be. Uh, coffee certainly continues to be a growing category, and I'm optimistic of where we go. 
we're doubling down on just uh, building our team, uh, going into a franchise-led growth uh, environment, opening new stores, and continuing to invest in digital. So I'm very, very excited for what the future holds. Yeah, well, I, I think that was a very good uh, recap or kind of uh, high-level view of, of how a lot of operators feel right now is lots of optimism, lots of opportunity, but a few external <laughs> pesky things that are realities that are making it hard to get to where the consumer wants us to go. But the good news is the consumer is clearly waiting for brands to get there. So there's a lot of reason to get to the other side of this, which is to me, maybe the biggest difference between now and like 2008, <laughs> you know, you have a very willing spending customer right now. It's just, you've got these scarcity issues in the dynamics of the supply chain that are, are complicating matters. But, um, but again, Sanjeev, thank you so much for joining us. You know, we look forward to hearing more about the brand and, uh, following your journey as you go forward. Thank you so much for having me. I enjoyed it. All right. Well, thank you. And thank you everybody for listening. We'll uh, see you next time.